1: Earlier this year, Taylor Lorenz went to a beach party thrown by Instagram. It's called InstaBeach, and it's up in
2: Malibu, north of L.A. And they invite the top, like, 500 to 700 young influencers in L.A. Lorenz writes about
1: Internet culture. She's at The New York Times now, but she was working for The Atlantic when she went to InstaBeach.
2: It was just this beautiful beach just north of L.A. Everyone was really young and cool, and I felt like an ancient pale corpse because most all of them live in L.A., so they're really tan, and they were just having a good time. It was a lot of kids having a good
1: time.
2: (laughs) The backpack kid did a dance. It skewed really young, you know, 10-year-olds, middle schoolers, and high school-age kids. It sort of had the awkwardness of any high school social event. Like, it kind of felt like a homecoming party or something. There's definitely a lot of cliques, a lot of, like, kids daring, you know, other kids to talk to each other and just, like, regular teenage stuff.
1: But regular teenage stuff that's worth billions of dollars. There was one young influencer at the party with 1.5 million followers on Instagram. Another with 6.8 million. Plus, young comedians and actors and web performers all of whom intuitively get how to leverage being online to help their careers.
2: If you want to be a young actress in Hollywood, you need to also understand how to navigate these digital platforms and engage with your fans in a very influencer way, which was not the case until recently. And I think what struck me about that party was just how deeply all of the sort of young Hollywood talent there understood that. We called up Lorenz
1: because her beat, internet culture, has really become the culture. And the people at Instabeach aren't just funny online personalities to gawk at, and they aren't just pretty girls with phones. They're truly influencing our lives in ways we don't
2: always see. This is literally shaping every single area of our life. Like, I can't stress that enough. It's a big shift in how we shop, how we learn, how we consume information. And you might think that it's just something that teens are following and, oh, I don't follow any YouTubers. But we very much live in an attention economy and the people that can exploit that are sort of able to do whatever they want. And as we move toward the end of the year, which is also the end of the decade,
1: we wanted to talk about the rise of the influencer and the multi-billion dollar business that Taylor says most people don't really understand. Today on the show, the influence economy. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next? TBD, a show about technology, power and how the future will be determined. Stay with us. See terms at discover.com slash credit
0: card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Okay, so humor me here. I mean, I'm I'm 44, and I like to think of myself as fairly digitally savvy, but I think there are things here that I have a hard time understanding, and I feel a little out of my depth. Um,
2: how would you define an influencer? That's a good question. Um, I would say an influencer is part of, Micro celebrity and part entrepreneur. It's somebody that makes money by swaying opinion around something. They're kind of like opinion leaders in specific spaces, um, or they're just compelling personalities. So it's very tied with commerce. Like it's not just someone that's famous on the internet, it's more like the way that they also monetize.
1: To understand how we got to this point where influencers can command so much money and attention, we have to go back to the beginning of the decade. Instagram came out in 2010. Can you give me an example of what being an influencer in the
2: beginning of the decade was like and felt like? Uh, Yes, I can speak to this personally because I was a pretty well-known New York Instagrammer um, back in those days. Um, It's funny because when Instagram started, people didn't really know how to use it and it was really crude and the cameras back then were not very good. So the first sort of influencers on Instagram were photographers. Honestly, it wasn't even professional photographers at that point. It was like people kind of like myself that had developed a niche um, and were just posting a lot of content related to a specific niche. And then you saw a lot of people who were sort of old school influencers hop on and use Instagram in in this sort of promotional way. There's a good tweet about Instagram and how it's changed. And something like Instagram used to be about photos you took, and now it's about posting photos of you. And I think that's very true. And I think influencer culture is kind of responsible for that shift.
1: You know, I have this, I think, maybe outdated picture in my head that the early influencer who was making money off this stuff was already famous, whether they were an actor, a reality star, whatever. And I guess I wonder how the who has changed over time.
2: Yeah, I would say that's not really who... That they are influencers. I mean, if you look at like the 2000s, like the aughts, yeah. um, you know, there were these MySpace people. There were reality stars. They were sort of influencers, but they didn't have the platforms to have a following or to monetize in the way that influencers today were. So I think like you kind of have two things and it meets in the middle. So on one side, you have the barrier for fame and notoriety is lowering. Like you have the rise of reality TV. Right. What's your
1: name? J-Well. J-Well.
2: You have more of these micro-celebrity-type figures. So that's on sort of one side. And then you also have these platforms emerging.
1: Well, hello, everyone. My name is Tyler Oakley. And today... That
2: allow people to grow and engage with and monetize a following, their own sort of cult. And I was
1: like, you know what? I want to do it.
2: Those two things, meeting in the middle, led to this influencer boom. Without these platforms and without these tech shifts, you would have just continued to have reality stars. But those reality stars weren't really influencers the way that the, the sort of the modern understanding of the word.
1: It sounds like you're talking about the technology sort of democratizing this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the technology democratized fame, obviously, but it also just allowed for all of these new monetization models. I think there's a misunderstanding that influencers are just people who post sponsored content, but that's not true. I mean, most influencers now, the trend is very heavily away from that. They're monetizing through merch sales or through kind of creating their own products like the Kylie Jenner model where you get really big, you get an audience, and then you create something very specific to your personal brand that you can sell back to them so these people are not people that are just getting paid to post things. They are kind of operating small businesses, and they all have different business models.
1: Well, let's talk about the business model. We know that global brand spending on influencers is somewhere between 5 and $10 billion. I guess I'm wondering, can you walk me through the ways people make money?
2: Yeah, I think it's much more than that, actually. Um, really? Yeah, I think the latest figure I heard was closer to $20 billion in 2020. Wow. And I would even say that that's, it's, that's underestimating it because that's just the brands spending money on the influencers. Like I said, the whole trend is away from sponsored content. So those brands hmm. are paying for sponsored content, but that's just the influencer marketing industry. That doesn't take into account the millions and millions and millions that these influencers are making by selling merch, by developing products, by having subscribers pay them directly through sites like Patreon. This is a huge, huge, huge industry. It's it's sort of equivalent to, like, Hollywood, where there's lots of different ways to make money. I don't know what kind of figure could really capture it because it's kind of invaded a lot of areas. <laughs> I mean, the amazing thing about sort of the rise of influencer world has been that... It really did democratize fame, but it also allowed people to serve underserved communities in different ways. So you'll see a lot of, like, niche influencers developing specific beauty lines aimed at different subgroups.
0: It's the and of beauty.
2: Huda Katan, who's a huge influencer, developed basically a makeup line that wasn't just for people with perfectly white skin tones. I mean, Rihanna Fenty Beauty has done the same thing. Um, I think that there is a recognition that people want to buy products from people that are like them. And not everyone is just a white, skinny girl that looks perfect in specific makeup and specific clothes. So I think, you know, the influencer world has allowed people to kind of get outside that mold a little bit.
1: We've talked a lot about the growth of the influencer economy, what it looks like from the outside. But there's this entire generation whose lives are intertwined with this world. And to them, it looks a little different. Authenticity seems so incredibly important here. And I'm curious whether, say, Gen Z, where their radar is for, hey, things are being sold to me, even though the person doing the
2: selling is just like me, yeah, well, their awareness about that is very high. A lot of gen Zs teenagers themselves are s- posting sponsored content or aspiring to post sponsored content um because they understand that it's a way to make money. so I think they more than older people have an understanding of like what's an ad, what's not, what's sponsored, what's not. It's not even just sponsored. I think that they understand that in order for these influencers to survive and make money they that those influencers need to make money, so a lot of times I mean. Kids will just buy merch to support their favorite creator because they essentially want to give that person money to continue to make the content that they like.
1: For younger influencers in particular, it's about more than just getting paid. Recently, Taylor Lorenz profiled a 15-year-old named Rowan Winch, and he runs a series of meme accounts on Instagram. His biggest account had 1.2 million followers. You wrote about a teenager... Um, who was 15 years old, ran a bunch of popular accounts from his house and was making about $10,000 a month. And I guess I'm curious, what is the draw? Is it money? Is it influence?
2: What is it? Yeah, it's not just money. And I think that's what I was trying to write about in that story. I think what young people understand, and this comes back to that Instagram party that I was talking about earlier, the beach party, something that every single person there talked about, is this understanding that having an audience is powerful. We live in an attention economy, and the bigger audience you have, the better that's going to be for you in life. And that's something that teenagers, because they've grown up so completely immersed in this influencer world, understand very, very deeply. So you'll see a young girl that wants to be an actress, like she tries to get big on Instagram because she knows that when she goes to the casting call, you're more likely to be cast in a movie if you have a big online following. Or this kid Rowan, he basically just wanted to amass that audience, not just because he could monetize it, but also because it's just that's a big network to have access to. So if he wants to apply to college or he wants an internship or he wants to get in touch with somebody in a certain way or just wants the answer to something on his math test, he can go to 1.2 million people and call on them. Um, and that is very powerful. And, and, and you know, it's not just about getting an audience because you can monetize it. It's getting an audience because you can kind of do anything with it. But sometimes the
1: pursuit of that influence comes at a cost. In July, Instagram shut down Rowan's biggest account. According to The Times, Instagram said it violated policies. His mother was worried about him in your story.
2: Yeah. I mean, Rowan is a 15-year-old who got a huge audience young and then lost it and I think is struggling to kind of figure out who he is without that audience. Um, building a business and building an audience on these platforms is very hard because the platform can also turn around and screw you or delete your account in any way. And suddenly you're cut off from you know, your your whole friend and fan base. So um, I, I'm sympathetic to his mom's concerns because i think it's something i hear a lot from parents which is that they don't really know if their kids are just spending an enormous amount of time on these platforms and getting very invested from a mental health standpoint in sort of their performance on these platforms is that a good thing is that them actually being very adept and operating in this new economy very well and setting themselves up very well for the future or is that sort of potentially going to have long-term consequences to how they view themselves or their sort of their place in the world.
1: What do you think the influencer of 2020 or 2025 is going to look like? Or will they even exist? Oh, my
2: God. Yes, they'll exist. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like this is like a fundamental shift in society. It's not going away. Like if you have influence, you have power. If you're able to mobilize people online, that is powerful. The world is only getting more connected. So people that are adept at that are are well positioned for the future in a lot of ways, um, which is terrifying too, because you can be influenced, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, there's definitely people that are more political influencers, especially um, extremists in certain ways that develop these very loyal fan bases by using influencer marketing tactics. And strategies and monetization models like merch sales to sway public opinion in very terrible ways. So, the influencer world is not going away. I think people hopefully are realizing that it is kind of this thing that's invaded every single area of society. It's not just like some beautiful woman with a phone taking selfies. Like, that is not what it is. It is, there are influencers in every single industry. There are people with health conditions that drug companies pay, and they become influencers essentially for their own health conditions, marketing drugs to cure those ailments to other people that follow them. You know, there are influencers in the automobile industry, in the hotel industry, in the lifestyle industry, obviously, everything. I mean, politics, like school, education, um, everything has been sort of disrupted by this shift towards a more influencer economy. And I I cannot stress, like, it's not just some, like, pretty girl with a phone. It's really, 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 like, shaping, I would say, the way a whole generation approaches life and the Internet. Taylor Lorenz, thank you very much. Thank you. Taylor Lorenz
1: is an Internet culture reporter for The New York Times. Okay, that's the show. What Next TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and hosted by me, Lizzie O'Leary, and it's part of the larger What Next family. On Monday, you should listen to Mary Harris dig into McKinsey and what exactly it does with reporter Ian McDougal. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University and New America. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.